The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And Michael Vannin and Sui Laid to all my elf friends. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, and coming up in just a few moments, an elvish perspective on life with What Would Arwen Do? KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. That enchanting music was from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Council of, um, actually I believe that was um, many meetings featuring uh, Anoran, the love song of Aragorn and Arwen. And uh, in case you are just tuning in, this is KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, and broadcasting live on the internet at KUCI.org, streaming live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with all kinds of music, public affairs programming. We have uh, elves and hobbits, and we have DJs, and we have uh, music that just runs the gamut of listening pleasure. So you can check that out at our website at KUCI.org. We also have training in case you might want to embark on an adventure as a DJ here at KUCI. Please keep an eye on our website about an upcoming training. And who knows, you too uh, may be embarking on a new adventure on the airwaves. So in case you are just tuning in, you may be wondering, what in the world is this all about? Well, this is the show where we ask, I ask, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people ask, what would Jesus do? And that's a very good question. However, I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And in case you're not familiar with who Arwen was, she was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community of people here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth or an elvish Arda. And I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great privilege comes responsibility. Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. 
And uh, in Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. And I believe that this, quote, elven quality exists in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So my hope, our hope, because I uh, have a wonderful co-host, a fellow, not a fellow, but a hobbit, Milo Lomstan. Good morning, Milo. Oh, good morning, Tani. It was so beautiful this morning coming to the station with Mel playing that wonderful music, including a selection by the drums that I had never heard before, but that's what's great about the station, about KUCI.org. You can hear things here that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. It's just such a wonderful day and so great to see you with your beautiful mauve top and your beautiful <laughs> hair and your smiling face. How I wish that the, how I wish that the people listening to us on the internet or live or via podcast at iTunes, just search for Arwen, how, how I wish they could see how great you look with the, uh, <laughs> With the smile, especially, and my my little amethyst here, bringing us the from the the jewels of the earth, the tellery and the Noldor, especially loved the gifts of the earth, and uh, the Noldor were the mo- the elves that most crafted uh, the things of the earth, jewels and gems. Uh, Fionor was uh, one of the was well, actually, the whole story of the the Lord of the Rings and all of those stories come from uh, Eldamar, from the crafting of the Silmaril, the three the three jewels. And um, Fionor was a great craftsman and was the one who actually created the Silmarils. And um, the Noldor gave many of their jewels and gems to the Tellery elves who strew them on the beaches of Elvenholm in Eld- Eldamar. So they did not hoard them or keep them to themselves. They strewed them on the beaches to drink in the moonlight and to glitter in their hair. And uh, So, yes, we elves love the jewels of the earth. So Amethyst is one of my favorites. A very, it's a very calming uh, stone. So thank you. It's lovely to see you as well, my dear Hobbit friend. It's always um, elves, elves do love Hobbits, <laughs> as we see in the Lord of the Rings story. Yes, yes. And Hobbits had a special love of the elves. They were magical and very other, right? It was the love of the other, the love of something yes. new and different and, and beautiful, yes. um, where the Hobbits had a good, solid, sturdy, um, land-tilling life. But to see the ethereal, the beautiful, the artful uh, in the elves was a special treat for all of all of us hobbits. Well, one of my favorite, favorite sub-stories in The Lord of the Rings is the story where uh, Frodo and Sam and uh, Mary encounter uh, Gildor and Glorian and company on the road and spend an evening with him and have the enchantment of the elves and the, the, the gifts of the elves in both food and song. And uh, 
one of the things that is that I loved that Peter Jackson, I believe, captured so beautifully in the movies as well was uh, Sam's just beautiful, innocent uh, pre- kind of preoccupation with the elves, which is kind of funny because I feel like in many ways that's uh, that same. I had that same feeling when I first uh, came to uh, to the movies and saw the elves. And you know what? Um, I know we're on the air, but I believe someone's trying to get in the front door. It's. I feel like we're kind of like Frodo sitting in, uh, or Bilbo in his living room, and there's that tap, tap, tapping, uh, that Gandalf was tap, tap, yes, tapping on yes, the front yes. door. Um, and I believe that our button that normally lets people in the front door is is not working this morning. Would you be well, a dear hobbit and me, see what I will see who is at, at the, the door. Front door. <laughs> so this is a college radio station and so uh, we are all volunteers here. We do everything here ourselves from uh, producing our shows, setting up our interviews, coming in, engineering our shows. So one of the wonderful things about the training here at KUCI is that they teach you how to do everything. So you get to be pretty much a one-man or one-woman or one-elf show uh, if you take on a program here at KUCI. So uh, there we are. There's someone who is at the door. How lovely. So uh, Milo, my hobbit friend, will be back in just a moment to join us. And so this morning, I'm very excited because we have uh, several things to share with you, our listeners, and... It's uh, the first uh, week of, actually, I guess the second, uh, we're well into January, but our second show in uh, January uh, for What Would Arwen Do? And uh, last last show, I believe that we got to uh, talk about uh, the uh, professor's birthday, which we always love to celebrate in early January. And this week... We are going to be, I thought it would be uh, nice, uh, Milo, if we talked a little bit about uh, getting healthy. Because it seems like what happens a lot of times in January is um, people, well, there's always the New Year's resolution thing that happens. But also, there's it tends to be quite an emphasis on getting uh, back healthy after the holidays. We uh, even as elves at times, we tend to eat a little more than we normally do, uh, and perhaps hobbits do. One of the things that I uh, first learned in my adventure of my life as an elf, which is now in March will be going on eight years, um, was that elves, uh, and I had always struggled with having a weight problem myself, but when I began my experiment of my life as an elf, um, one of the first things that happened was my weight, my weight problem actually just basically kind of disappeared. Um, and that was because I learned, I looked at, well, how do elves eat? And basically it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Be- elves eat for nourishment and they eat in celebration. So elves don't come home at night and eat a bunch of comfort food because the day didn't go well and they don't overeat. Um, but, uh, they do eat for nourishment and they eat very, very well and very healthy. And they also love their celebration and festival times in which they're, they have great foods to share with each other and with their guests. And, uh, so as I began to eat like an elf, <laughs> as long in part of my life as an elf, uh, what I discovered is that for me, at least all of my, a lot of my health issues began to disappear. That is a, a tremendous, <laughs> a tremendous testimony to the power of the films and uh, the films, of course, rooted in the books. As yeah. a hobbit, of course, uh, comfort food is what I'm all about. Yes. And uh, <laughs> although I have been able to drop uh, many stone in the last couple of years, as I in 
embarked on a new adventure of trying to eat more wisely and and become more at one with the universe. Many times when we eat junk food, it's to escape reality. And it's better to embrace reality. And, and the elven way, the elven way is exactly right. Primarily eat for nourishment. 360 days out of the year, eat just for nourishment. And then maybe five or six days a year, celebration. Certainly on your birthday, you're going to want to yes. celebrate with friends. Certainly on Christmas. Yes. Perhaps on the professor's birthday. Yes. Certainly in midsummer's night. There's going to be a feast in many places. Yes, we have many holidays here, like especially the summertime uh, Memorial Day or Labor Day. It's often uh, for uh, barbecues and outdoor uh, things with, with family and friends. I would like to say, though, that I think sometimes there is an overemphasis on health necessarily having to include being super thin. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily right. true. I believe that we need to look at our um, and this is where I love uh, some of the teachings of Ayurveda and yoga. Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. And uh, as the yoga elf, I believe that the elves were doing yoga before it was called yoga. Uh, these wonderful uh, different postures and stretches and movements that kept them uh, but not only flexible but strong and balanced. Um, and Ayurveda as a sister science. And in Ayurveda, there are things called doshas, you know, which it kind of... Um, and body types. So there's vata, which generally the, uh, if you're a vata, which I tend, I am, you're taller, thinner, um, have some irregularities, like my teeth tend to be a little bit, you know, have like a little funny tooth over here. <laughs> and we have a little irregular, uh, pitta people, uh, who is, uh, and vata is air and change and wind. So we're of the ethers. Of course, I love to live, you know, I live in the tops of trees and I love the wind. Uh, pitta people who are, uh, fire, uh, some elves definitely have a lot of fire. The Noldor, I think, were kind of vata, uh, pitta vata, whereas the Teleran elves were vata pitta. But, uh, and pitta people tend to be, you know, sometimes they have weight issues. They tend to be more dense, more fiery. Um, and then there's kapha, which I always think of the, uh, the hobbits are very much kapha. Kapha had big round, have big round eyes. They're kind of denser. Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're very earthy. They, uh, they actually even have heavier bones. I had, I knew two men, who um, were had very much kapha, and uh, one actually was a lovely man that I was married to for for very many years. But he he liked he actually did like to go in the water, but he sank like a stone. He could not learn to swim to to save himself because he just couldn't seem to get himself afloat. He was and even a couple of times when I would help him when he was ill, just he was just he was his bones were just heavier than anybody's uh, body I ever I ever met. And he was not and he was not overweight. He just was very dense. So that being said, I think uh, sometimes if our body type, uh, whether it's, you know, through Ayurveda or Dosha or just, or just our general uh, heritage, you know, Mexican people are not built the same as Scandinavian people. And uh, the Aborigines, the beautiful, that do the walkabout down in Australia do not look like the Eskimos. You know, there are different body types. And so I think uh, it is good to honor the way our bodies are made and celebrate our different shapes and sizes. Um, Absolutely true. And we- just look for ways to stay healthy within, within celebrating how we're made. 
That's right. It's not the goal is not to be thin. The goal is to be right and to, to be, be healthy. right with yourself, yes. right with the world, right with God, and to be healthy. I mean, the real goal is to be healthy. Right. And uh, um, although many many times I feel like Fatty Bulger, you don't look like Fatty Bulger. But I feel. <laughs> I mean, very you much go to that the way. gym, you, you, but in you're, fact, you're quite, you're quite a, an in-shape uh, My hobbit, bones are, I mean, my doctor once said, well, you really do have very, very big bones, and you can't use it as an excuse, right. but you do have big, big bones. Right, and some people who are built a certain way are never just going to be little life creatures, you know? Right. But celebrate that. Celebrate, uh, celebrate who you are, whatever your shape and size is. Absolutely. And 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 find ways to stay healthy, you know, within those parameters. So for me, you know, eating like an elf was uh, seemed very fitting because I my stature and um, frame and temperament and everything is 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 in fact very elvish. <laughs> and I must say, Tani, my dear elf friend, after meeting you, I have stopped eating a lot of meat. I haven't totally stopped, but I'm eating much, much, much less meat than I used to. Oh, much, much wonderful. less, and. It's an amazing thing, but I definitely feel better. Well, one of the things that I, and I believe this comes from Elvish wisdom with regards to eating, is that a lot of times we want to say, okay, I'm going to stop eating. I'm going to, I'm going to remove this thing from my diet. It's not good for me. Maybe it's pastries or maybe it's food, meat or maybe it's something. And what I've found works very well is to, is to bring in things that are really healthy. So f- for me, I started adding lots of fruits and vegetables and, and live foods. And what I found was, as I was uh, incorporating these things into my diet, something had to move out in order to make room for them. And so a lot of the healthy, thi- the unhealthy things just began to be pushed out of my diet as I was bringing, getting enough roughage in. It's like, you know, if I had a, a tummy full of lettuce, which was wonderful, there was not room for a tummy full of uh, pizza as well. And, and so uh, to me, that is just elvish wisdom. And what happens is that your body begins to awaken to these wonderful foods and say, oh my gosh, um, I actually, I, you, know, you find yourself crazy craving some fruit. If I don't get enough fruit, it's like, you know, Tony, you know, where's an orange? Where's an apple? <laughs> it's amazing what you're saying. My path is different. In other words, you inspired me to try a different adventure, uh-huh. eating a lot less meat. Well, like Fatty Bolger, I was still hungry. And so I said, well, maybe I should eat some fruits. And then I started to have vegetables for breakfast. Ah, which vegetables is a for breakfast different is different adventure. Celery and sometimes a salad for breakfast. And especially a lot more fruit than I ever oh, yes. have eaten in my life. Fruit is very cleansing. And it's made me feel so much better. So to our fans out there that that you know think that they need to lose a few pounds, not to get thin, but to be more healthy, uh, think about these things because it's a surprising fact. If you're if you're hungry and you eat fruits and vegetables, they do fill you up and you feel better, and there's a lot of benefit. Yes. Well, and the wonderful thing, too, about eating live foods like fruits and vegetables is that they contain not only um, not only are nice and filling, but they help with your digestion. They're full of enzymes. They're live. They have the prana. In, in yoga, we have something called prana, the life force. And that's uh, so all these foods have lots of prana and life force in them. And uh, I think we see, you know, I've done a little study, and I as yet I have not found anywhere in the... Um, 
writings of J.R. Tolkien where uh, the elves eat meat. Now, I'm not saying that they did not because I know that they were hunters, but I believe that if they did eat meat, it would have been more in the uh, tradition of, like, say, the Native American Indians or those types of uh, societies where they honored the animal. When they shot the animal, it's, it fed their family, it clothed them, they used every part of the animal, they... Um, and in many in the Celtic tradition and the shamans, they actually uh, did a ritual beforehand, the night before, and there was as though there was an agreement between the hunter and the hunted, and the hunted would actually present itself to the hunter. You know, the buck would show up, the, sh- the archer would shoot it, and it would it was uh, it was this cycle of life that was mutually respectful and agreed upon. Mutual and, uh, respect. Mutual yes. respect, respect for the individual, whether that individual is a human of another race or another gender or another age right. or another body type or an animal, right. a small animal, a big animal. Right. Respect for the individual is very important. And I think that's where for myself as a non-meat-eating person, um, a lot of times people say, uh, and it's interesting because I've actually run into a couple of people lately who were vegetarians and they've returned to eating meat saying, oh, you know, I just feel better. I, I feel like I really need some meat. And um, for me, at least, part of it is uh, that as long as if I can nourish myself without having to kill anything, then I prefer to do that. But also that... Um, There are many sources of protein and food, lentils and uh, chickpeas and uh, rice and, you know, and as an elf myself, I cannot be on like a a macrobiotic diet. Some people do great on a macrobiotic diet, which includes a lot of rice. My body doesn't digest carbohydrates that well, but it doesn't take that many lentils, little lentils and rice to make a full protein. There's wonderful nuts, nuts and berries together. Oh my gosh, you know, and nuts you can carry with you anywhere. You know, they and, have, and don't forget the live and active cultures in yogurt. Absolutely. Get a good quality organic yogurt with live and active cultures. And you're not just eating some dairy food. You're actually eating living organisms. They're becoming a part of you. And say they're actually adding to the colony that you already have because we have people. I don't think realize that we have. I think it's like a pound to two pounds of flora of microorganisms in our gut system that helps to keep us healthy. It supports our immune system, helps for the digestion of our food, and these are live microorganisms and cultures. So and the and the acidophilus and stuff in the yogurt just uh helps them flourish. <laughs> and science has shown us and we hobbits are big fans of science. Science <laughs> has shown us that people live longer just by eating more yogurt. Yes, it's amazing. A very simple thing. So this morning, uh, gosh, the, where does the time go? This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation <laughs> because I think a lot of people are very, you know, um, Concern, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a new year. We want to start things off. We, you know, if we have eaten a bit through the holidays, but there are wonderful ways to get back to health. Part of that can be through, um, and it's not about making yourself wrong or beating yourself up for whatever you did and look back and say, wow, I really enjoyed the holidays this year. And now I'm going to enjoy January by shedding these few pounds and getting some extra exercise and eating some extra healthy fruits. So in all ways, it's about celebrating our lives and the things that we choose instead of making ourselves or beating ourselves up over our choices. So um, this morning, I thought we could share a little bit. I know uh, before we get too far, 
a couple of things that I want to share this morning um, that we want to share are some other aspects of health in, in addition to just eating right, which, um, and there are dietitians that you can go to. There are lots of information online. There are books that you can check out from the library. So it's not that hard to find information about um, how to improve, you know, what you eat. Um, and, and I will say for myself, as far as vegetarianism, I actually do believe that you can be fully healthy and invigorated and nourished through a uh, vegetarian diet. However, if you are, if your body type is such that you really need protein, then uh, there are ways also to honor the earth and honor animals through uh, eating uh, meat protein that uh, benefit and um, celebrate and support the earth and uh, rather than uh, exploit it. So there, there are wonderful alternatives in that way too. But I did want to say that this morning I'd like for us to talk a little bit about some other ways to get healthy, and that is meditate through meditation. So I'm going to share a little mm-hmm. bit about about that health for the for the mind, which also will help you to become more aware if you're wanting to do some things with regards to eating food, and also through uh, activities like dancing and drumming. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I know uh, it's kind of about the midpoint of the show. So before we jump into a new topic, um, I wanted to hear, because you generally have a, a, a little report for us about things that are going on with the movies. And I know we both saw the movie Avatar last week. And I'd like for us to talk, if we could, a little bit about Avatar. Okay. Well, first, I think we should do a catch-up on The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit activities uh, and then, and then we can talk about Avatar, which I've printed out the credit list, and we can chat about that. But um, uh, so here are some updates from the-hobbit-movie.com. We hear a report uh, that is indirect from Production Weekly that The Hobbit is planned to start filming in June. They're planning oh, on starting yay. to film in June. Uh, James McAvoy, again, the great British actor who is famous for his role in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh-huh. as the Fawn and many other fine roles, uh, denies Hobbit rumors. He uh-huh. said uh, on January 10th, um, playing Bilbo Baggins in Guillermo del Toro's The Hobbit, um, according to McAvoy, it's all rumors and nothing more. Uh, he denies the Hobbit story. And that goes, in fact, with the big news from the last uh, recent time. The official casting call for the lead roles has been issued. Oh. <gasps> with details going to major agencies, that's casting agencies, regarding the parts of Bilbo, Thorin Oakenshield, Felian Keeley, Bard, Primula Brandybuck, oh. Gloin, Drogo, Eteril, Radagast the Brown. <gasps> A Maillard. They're going to have a wizard the Brown, in there. Another wizard to, yes. to talk with Gandalf. And the voice of Smaug. Now, the new thing here, as, as our listeners will recognize, is they've never heard of an elf called Eteril. Well, Eteril is a new character invented by Guillermo del Toro. Oh. And here's the description. Eteril is a female, a woodland elf. This character is one of the Sylvan Elves. Of course. The Sylvan Elves are seen as more earthy and practical. Shorter than other Elves, she is still quick and lithe and physically adept, being able to fight with both sword and bow. Showing promise as a fighter at a young age, Eteril was chosen to train to become part of the Woodland King's Guard. 
This is the only life she has ever expected to live until she meets and secretly falls in love with a young elf lord. This will require a wig and contact lenses to be worn. Some prosthetic makeup will also be required. It is a lead role, and the ideal age is 17 to 27. Noticeable parts missing from the casting call. Yes. Gandalf, Gollum, and Elrond. So that's leading, uh, this is from, again, the-hobbit-movie.com. Once again, we see that uh, I think we're in for another ride with Ian McKellen, which we expected. Yes. And uh, especially Andy Serkis' Gollum. Yes. So that is that is the that is the Hobbit movie and Lord of the Rings movie stuff for this uh, session. And we have have we there have been no announcements with regards to Elrond though, right? Because he is definitely a lead character in this. Right, he's listed yeah. on IMDb.com as the original actor, and uh, he has not been listed on uh, um, 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 the guy that played him before. Um, my favorite that played El- Elrond in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, the same char- the same actor will be playing Elrond in the Hobbit yeah, movies, which is uh, um, Hugo Weaving. I'm like yes, Hugo Weaving. <laughs> yes, just, of course. His name just went right. Hugo out. Weaving. Yeah, so he's he's been confirmed. Uh, basically, when you are in movie production uh-huh. and you issue the call for the leads, you issue that call all at once because you uh-huh. don't want to keep bothering the casting agencies. Right, right, right. Therefore, the fact that Gandalf, Gollum, and Elrond are not on that list means they have been cast, and IMDb only talks about those three people, Hugo Weaving, uh, okay. Andy Serkis, and Sir Ian McKellen. That's it. Oh, so wonderful. I, I, think that, I think that that's good news for us, that those three will be back. And if people were, and if there was any conflict, like you started, oh, no, we, ha- we happen to know that Hugo Weaving, Weaving has another contract, movie contract, that would have come out by now. That would have come out, and I so, would have discovered yeah. it. <laughs> but Avatar. Yeah, thank you so much. We for need this. to talk about Avatar, if only for this fact, as... As the elf and I have both seen Avatar, yes. I, being a, a hobbit that likes numbers and figuring out things uh-huh. and grounded in science and technology, have found that there is over 1,700 credits for the movie Avatar. 1,700 credits wow. is a large, large number. Yes. I believe that that is a new record for the number of credits for a movie. More than 260 of those 1,700 credits are for the Weta Workshop in New Zealand, which we all know was basically given a huge boost in the arm when Peter Jackson chose them to do all of the special effects, optical effects, armory effects in Lord of the Rings movies. I got to spend an evening with uh, Peter, oh, what is his name, Peter, I forgot his last name, of Weta Workshop at uh, a Northwest Tolkien Society um, Meet moot that we had. I got to stay up playing tri- trivia, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit trivia with Peter. Um, I brought I brought Miravore and goblets, and we oh. had and 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 so he did actually some workshops on the making of the of the especially of the swords. So he brought swords to the you know to the convention for his for his lectures. And it was amazing all these different sizes because you know for the filming and everything they and how everything was. I mean these just weren't just ornamental uh, weapons. These were actual weapons that could be used. Um, it was am- amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And of course, there's a whole book, the the um, weapon, the 
warfare weapons of middle earth that you know the whole big book about that so yeah it's it's i'm and it's i'm i'm so glad that that was um and we see that in avatar avatars uh weapons avatars visual effects certainly i can say as a long time movie fan it's a must see movie you must see it and you must see it in 3d and i've had people say that it's ideal to see it in 3D IMAX, but I cannot watch IMAX because of a little touch of vertigo. Mm, okay. You, I believe, saw it in IMAX 3D. I did see what it was in... your initial reaction? Oh my gosh! Well, I didn't know anything about the movie before I went to see it because I wanted to see it just absolutely fresh. But I was in Elven Bliss <laughs> from the first time that, uh, and I can't even remember the the Pandora. The, well, in Pandora, but the the characters' names I. Um, in fact, the first time I saw Lord of the Rings, I got everybody's names mixed up. I had to go home and study them. Well, there um, was Neytiri was played brilliantly by Zoe Saldana. She is the yes, she is the princess. She yeah. is the Navi princess. Mm-hmm. And Jake Sully, the ex-Marine, is played by Sam Worthington. Yes. The, well, Neytiri, of course, as soon as I saw her, it was it was almost. Not quite, but it was very close to the same response that I had to Arwen uh, in Lord of the Rings. Because here was Natiri, um, you know, he comes bungling in through the jungle. The lion, you know, the, the jaguar creatures come out to attack him and he's basically going to get, you know, he's done for. She comes in as the, you know, elf princess, <laughs> much as um, Arwen coming to save Frodo, you know, and uh, uh, face off against the orcs. But in this scene, it just, oh, it, it so touched my heart because, you know, she comes in, she finally saves him. He turns and he says, thank you, you were awesome. And, and she, you know, she scolds him. She says, you you crazy, you shouldn't be here. And she, he's like, are you kidding? That was awesome. You, you just took care of everything. And she said, are you kidding? They didn't have to die. This you is know? not for thanks. This right. is sad. This is sad because, and, and he, you know, he was kind of taken aback. And I think a lot of times we don't realize that, uh, you know, we just think, oh, well, we conquered the, the jaguar or the, you know, the attacking animal when if we had not gone into their territory, they may not have needed to attack us and they may have been able to just go along their, their gentle life or their, not necessarily gentle life, but their life. Uh, not having to be slain because we happened to get into their path. So that was amazing to me. But also, um, I actually just sat and cried after the movie because it was, it was so beautiful. And the 3D just put me right into the movie. That was actually the first time I'd also seen 3D. But the, a Pandora to me was so close to, um, what I would a picture as Elven Home over in Eldemar. Partly because of them and their um, the way that they played through the trees, that she was so in tune. She was almost as you know like a monkey in a sense herself, so in tune with the environment and with the trees. And then uh, the uh, the horse like creatures that came up, and they joined their their hair joined to the to the horse to where they became one with the animal in the Lord of the Rings we see that the elves had a very special connection with the horses um, Legolas you know didn't use any bridle or, or you know didn't need any bridle or saddle for riding we, we uh, see this several times mentioned in the Lord of the Rings uh, the special connection of the elves with horses that they had a communication a communication with animals and trees um, we see the communication with the trees you know the whole um, Legolas is so so loves uh, Fangorn, you know, 
automatically, you know, he just instantly recognizes the tree spirits and the communion with it, with nature there. So for to, so to me, it was very, it was a very elvish experience and was so beautiful. Extremely beautiful as a movie fan who has seen many, many 3D films and some IMAX films, but certainly his use, that's James Cameron, the director's use of 3D in this film is it sets the hallmark for the use of 3D. The only film in my experience that comes close to the excellent, muted, proper, appropriate use of 3D for dramatic and uh, textual effect is uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. That was also made in 3D, but it uses the 3D in a very subtle way. Uh-huh. Uh, Cameron also uses it not to you know throw things at you out in the audience right. as some 3D movies do, but he uses it to bring that other world, that world of Pandora, to total realistic existence. And I was just simply blown away. This is Instant Academy Award for Special Effects, Instant Academy Award for Sound Effects and Sound Effects Editing. Cinematography, well, there wasn't much of it by Mauro Fiore, the uh, Italian cinematographer who did The Kingdom and Training Day. Uh, clearly, he was he was shown because of his experience in shooting war scenes, of which there are war mm-hmm. scenes in this movie. Yes. Uh, I was not that taken by it, nor really... I was not that taken by the music by James Horner, who people will remember for having composed the scores for Star Trek II and Star Trek III. And Titanic. And Titanic. And Titanic. Although the the main song, sung by Celine Dion, is a very famous standard now, uh, uh, I felt this score was, was not the greatest music for the film. I thought that the film deserved better music, especially... The space scenes, I kept saying to myself in the space scenes, Stanley Kubrick made the right choice in using contemporary classical music in 2001. But Sam Worthington, excellent acting. Zoe Saldana as Neytiri, the Navi princess, was excellent. Especially Sigourney Weaver as Dr. Grace Augustine. Oh my gosh, she did... Just she she ought to be nominated for a supporting Oscar because she was just great. Stephen Lang as the vicious and evil Colonel Miles Quaritch. Oh yeah, it's like he just he was he was so bad. You know, you just you just loved to hate him. He, he reminded me of John Travolta in Battlefield Earth. It, it, well, yeah, I mean that's right. And uh, Giovanni Ribisi as the oily, sleazy, smarmy, nasty corporate right. person. <laughs> and and the production, I mean, the production was just beautifully produced. John Landau, who also helped produce uh, Cameron's other films, uh, made an appearance on the uh, Life After Film School on the FX channel, and I watched that. And he talked about producing Avatar and how it's important that you bring another world to life. Yes. And the 500-word language that was invented that is, they gave a professor of linguistics the assignment to invent a brand new language unrelated to human language, and the professor took six months. Yes, it, it, I love, and I loved it. For me, almost every movie I see that I really love, uh, 
a lot of times I fall in love with the sub-story of what's going on. The general story is wonderful, but um, for me, in The Lord of the Rings, I fell in love with the sub-story of Aragorn and Arwen, which you see woven through the books as well as the movies. In Australia, I loved the sub-story of uh, the little boy, uh, the little, you know, doing the walkabout, and of his um, his whole thing, I, I sing you to me, of his connection with the with nature and singing her to him, you know, his use of, of the command of language and, and of uh, a sort of magic. Um, and so for me, of course, in this movie, it was the, uh, the sub-story of Natiri and her people uh, living in communion with nature and, and of their, but of their generosity of spirit as uh, those, you know, they tried to save uh, uh, Gwen, you know, when, but she was too, um, uh, too injured and uh and but of the power of their spoken word of their of themselves in a spiritual sense when they bonded together so there were so many elements to me that were just absolutely incredible and beautiful and of course uh the the interaction of the inhabitants uh when it it, was, it seemed to me you know at times kind of similar to narnia and you know when aslan call finally calls all mm-hmm. the animals and they all come together you know for one purpose and here, uh, the great tree, you know, Mother Earth, in a sense, finally yes. rouses uh, the entire forest. And we see this in the Lion King, you know, in, now, in different places. I think I need to point out to the people listening, however, that it's not a perfect movie. I no. I felt the no. script, <laughs> I felt the script, and especially the dialogue by James Cameron was really trite. I mean, it was really hackneyed in the sense that it reminded me of every B movie, Cowboys and Indians. Uh, sort of the po- Pocahontas story. It, it just reminded me too much of things I had seen before. The dialogue for the vicious Colonel Quaritch was especially, you know, shut your pie hole kind of <laughs> trite, hackneyed yeah. phrases. So it's it's not a perfect movie, but it is great if only for the visual effects. They well, may and, have spent $500 million. <laughs> They may have spent five hundred million dollars, but it looks it. Yes. Well, and and I think it just it, to me, uh, it does have archetypal themes. You know, it has the themes of the love of the planet, of the planet nurturing us, of uh, the themes of courage, of being willing to learn. You know, of admitting. You know. You know, admitting ignorance. Um, so, you know, Natiri is an archetypal princess of the light. Um, the guy is kind of an archetypal, stumbling, you know, clueless guy that rises to the occasion and becomes a hero. So yes, they're, yes. you know, and the, the archetypal parents of Natiri, you yes. know, and the, so there's a lot of archetypal elements, which I love heroic fairy story romances. Uh, so, to me, it has a lot of those those elements. One of the things I will say too, and we're not gonna. It doesn't look like we're even gonna get to our other things this morning. But one of the things that I did um, was thinking. And I, first off, I'd like for you to mention too the fact that um, you are, in addition to being a Hobbit, you have a, an extensive background in movie in, in as as a movie critic. So it's, you're not just a Hobbit just sitting here commenting well, on the show. Yes, if I may say so. Please, please tell us a little bit about your background. Just, just you know. That just you are quite bit. qualified to, to just, comment on just this. A, a few. As a critic, I comment as simply as an as an elf and a lover of nature. And and your comments are genuine and even more worthwhile than most critics. 
I am a founding juror of the Cleveland International Film Festival in 1974. I was one of the original jurors for the Cleveland International Film Festival. I had uh, credentials, uh, critics' credentials for the 1972 Cannes Film Festival. I've been to the London Film Festival, the Toronto Film Festival four times, the New York Film Festival eight times, the Telluride Film Festival 15 times, consulting with the Case Western Reserve University Film Society numerous times. I am the author of um, The Ring Theory. The Ring Theory I wrote uh, about wedding rings. If you watch movies, Western movies, of course, Eastern movies are different. But if you watch Western movies and you see a wedding ring in a shot, it turns out that that shot will be the most important shot of the scene, and that scene will be one of the most important scenes in the movie. Ah. And I wrote that for the film journal Blaue Augen, which is uh, German for blue eyes. So, yes, I do have some, some <laughs> cinema credentials. So, so having said that, one of the things, and I think we've had a little bit of this conversation before, but one of the things that I was so struck in seeing this movie and sitting there, in addition to falling in love with it, with Pandora and Natiri and the story and especially the elements of the, their, their connection with nature was that several times during the movie, I kept thinking, I wish who, I wish these people, these very same people would make Paralandra, which is, is the uh, oh. second book of the space trilogy of C.S. Lewis. Uh, Paralandra being, you know, a Venus and an untouched, untarnished, beautiful uh, place with so many beautiful na- nature elements, and right. and I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, if they could do Paralandra, that it could actually maybe uh, come to life. The the floating islands and the singing creatures oh and the trees that you know where the 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 melons literally would burst, you know, with with uh, with nutrients and beauty. So, oh my gosh, yes, and think about what they could do with the the Martian creatures and oh, Out yeah. of the Silent Planet, yes. the first book of C.S. Lewis space trilogy, right. Out of the Silent Planet. He goes ransom goes to fight the evil physicist on the on the planet of Mars, Malacandra. and Malacandra, and and meets the the tall creatures that are thorns. like trees. Right. Thorns. I, I I like to think of them. As, I guess kind of is somewhere between an ant and a wookie. <laughs> yes, but the technology that James Cameron yes. has invented could bring to life yes. out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. Now the third book, which is my favorite book, that hideous strength actually doesn't require perhaps that much visual effects wizardry. It could be right. done 10 years Although ago. Although it's based on Merlin, so there could be, you know, flashbacks to Arthurian yes, Arthurian times and themes. But getting back to Avatar, I wrap it up by saying if you like heroic, archetypal films, you'll like it. And if you like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful images... I mean, this is really one of the most gorgeous films to look at of the last 25 years. Yes. And speaking of archetypal, it, it's important to notice our calendar. Yes. Certainly, Lord of the Rings had many calendars, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Yes. He was born on January 15, 1929. Yes. He would have been 81 years old today if he had not been cut down at the very young age of just 39, think what that man accomplished yes. just in 39 years. And I remember 
I still remember as a little child watching the I Have a Dream speech and thinking then, and as I read it every year on MLK Day, which is celebrated this year on 18th, even though his actual birthday is today, January 15th, every year I, I read the I Have a Dream speech, and it is one of the greatest speeches in the history of the English language. It's just marvelous. So yes. we we should remember heroic activities of our own folks like Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely. And I believe that that is available online in several places. Many places. Yeah. Well, this morning, our time is just about up, and we didn't even what? get to we talk about... We just started. We haven't talked about... I know, we haven't Wait talked about these other wonderful ways to get Wait healthy through meditation, through drumming. So I'm just going to run through a couple of things in these last couple of minutes just to uh, for our guests and to uh, make an announcement about our guests for next. We also didn't get to... I had music that we were going to have this morning and some readings from the professor, but where does the time go when elves and hobbits get together it just becomes a party <laughs> party party and a hearty party yes and in case you are tuning in we are you are listening to KUCI in Irvine 88.9 FM I am Tani Tinuviel my co-host Milo Lomsdown and I are here on what would Arwen do every other Friday morning from nine eight to nine a.m. If you'd like to email us, you can a- email me at askanelf at yahoo.com, askanelf at yahoo.com. And uh, so other ways to get healthy for uh, this new year, you might want to think about some meditation or some drumming or going out and taking some yoga classes. There are wonderful things. A friend of a dear friend of mine, a fellow yoga teacher, Beth Cunningham is going to be doing a meditation made easy three a three week series over at our uh, our friends at soul at home and this is uh, create your own powerful meditation practice including simple easy and compelling meditation techniques that allow you to experience a vast inner stillness from which all peace healing and inspiration arises a meditation practice has never been so accessible or effective and Beth is has been studying yoga for over 20 years and teaching for nine She's a uh, Svarupa yoga teacher, which Svarupa is wonderful. They actually call it bliss yoga. And uh, so she is, uh, she'll be teaching that. That's on Tuesdays beginning January 26th from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. You can call Soul at Home at 714-573-7685, or visit their website, Soul at Home. That's S-O-U-L at home.com. Also, drumming. Drumming is a great way not only to connect with yourself, uh, but also to, uh, ex- you know, to spend some energy. And there's a group drum circle with David Van Dorn. He used to teach over at Cordelia Not, not Wellness Center. And he also is going to be at Soul at Home on Sunday, January 24th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Group drumming is wonderful. Uh, group drumming harnesses many elements of wellness in one enjoyable activity. Um, without the obstacle of a challenging learning curve, group drumming is an enjoyable, accessible, and fulfilling activity. I've been to this drum circle. It is so much wondrous fun. Uh, David Van Dorn brings like literally 40 or 50 different types of djembe drums and percussion instruments. It's a family event, and it's wondrous fun, and I will be there. Again, that will be at Soul at Home, S-O-U-L at Home.com, if you want to check that out. And uh, then last but not least, uh, Milo, I want to announce our guest Oh my gosh, two weeks weeks from today. Two weeks from today, our very special guest will be Oram Miller. 
And Ora Miller is a certified bi- building biology environmental inspector. And I have uh, recently met Oram. Some of his, uh, he's been helpful. He's changed my sleeping environment. I'm actually sleeping through the night. And we're going to be talking about some of these effects of EMFs, electromagnetic fields, and whether or not these things actually do affect us. All of this Wi-Fi and wireless running through our houses and these electric currents running through our houses and our bedrooms and, uh, he actually does uh, consulting for creating a full, healthy house. You know, everything from detecting whether or not there's mold in your house that might be affecting you, creating um, environmental illness. Very important. To uh, the electromagnetic fields. And so two weeks from today, Ora Miller will be here with us. And he is actually in the process of relocating from Minnesota out here. And will be uh, available for consultations for people. So it's going to be—I think that's going to be a very exciting, very informative, and interesting show. And if people are interested in checking him out beforehand, they can visit his website, which is Create Healthy Homes, CreateHealthyHomes.com, Environmental Design and Inspection Services. So he'll be here actually this weekend, and he'll be here on the show in two weeks. That I'm really looking forward to it because as a hobbit, I'm very interested in home-related things and our yes. little home building and so forth. And and as a, as a hobbit who has studied science, I can tell you all of those EMFs, all those electromagnetic radiations, electromotive forces, they have to have some effect on the human yes. brain. The human brain, the most powerful computer yes. that we know of, has so many electrochemical interactions I am one who has always believed, even though we may not be able to measure it yet, that there's no question in my mind that cell phones and wiring and so forth have to have an effect. So I'm really looking forward to hearing Orem. And he has a great deal of science. This is very big over in Europe. They're they're actually limiting some of the places that wiring. They're ahead of us. Europe is ahead of us in this. So that that's coming two weeks from two weeks from today. And in just a few moments, um, we're going to have romance. We're love and romance with, with Rose. Rose. And so I hope you will stay tuned for that. Again, this is What Would Arwen Do? I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. And Milo, my Hobbit co-host, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Tani, for hosting another in- entertaining, informative, <laughs> and fun show. Thank you. Well, we're going to have a little bit of music uh, as we close out here with a little bit of music again from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. This, the original, uh, from the original record uh, uh, soundtrack concerning Hobbits. And so, two weeks from now, we'll be back. In one week, I will be back with uh, on this in this very same time slot with Phenomenal Woman, and my guest will be Ginger Lee, who is the founder and director of Ginger Garden, Ginger's Gardens. We'll be talking about energy healing, sacred fan dance, and lots of wonderful things going on in the world of energy healing and uh, with a Phenomenal Woman. So that'll be next week. So until then, my friend, Alen Salalum in Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. That's for sure. <laughs> and uh, we'll say goodbye to all of our friends until next week. On the Internet, on the podcast, and listening live today, have a great, great week. And please visit us and our fellow uh, crazy, wonderful people at www.kuci.org and our public affairs website at kuci.talk.org or find us on iTunes and listen to the podcast. Just look for Arwen A-R- on iTunes. A-R-W-E-N. Until next week, Namaria. This is KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of the universe.